Imagine it's the holiday season in your country and you've just gotten to the airport to board the plane that'll make it possible for you to visit your family in a different city. The airport's completely packed, but you're not worried about it because seeing the faces of your spouse, child, siblings, or even parents is worth the stress. Besides, you're pretty excited that you're going to actually get to fly in a Boeing 747, which is a pretty big deal and one of the biggest airplanes you've ever seen. You take your seat and a friendly, good-looking flight attendant welcomes you on board and makes sure you're all comfy. You think about the warm reception your family's planned for you and the tasty home-cooked meals you've been missing so much lately as the plane accelerates down the runway and lifts off into the evening sky. As you settle in to take a short nap, there's a sudden deafening explosion at the back of the passenger cabin. The plane starts bucking and meandering in a strange up and down pattern. The flight attendants try to allay everyone's fears, but you can see the panic in their eyes too. People are screaming, warning horns and beeping sounds can be heard all over the plane, and it's suddenly getting hard to breathe. Flight attendants tell everyone to put on their oxygen masks and to help those with little kids to put theirs on as well. The suffocating torture goes on and on seemingly forever. You look to your right and see a passenger scribbling something down on a napkin. You see the one in front of you praying and without contemplating it too much, you start writing down your last words too. You hope they aren't, but as you look around you, the situation seems hopeless. Suddenly your body is violently wrenched to the left as you hear a thunderous impact on the right side of the plane. Everything goes black as you lose consciousness. A few moments later, you open your eyes and you can see the sky. Did you die? Was it all just a dream? You try to move, but your body hurts all over. You look to your right and you see that it's not just you. Other injured passengers are lying all around you. Maybe this is how I finally go, you think to yourself. But then you hear something that sounds like a helicopter, and you sigh in relief, knowing that you've been saved. It hovers overhead for a few minutes, but then the sound starts to get distant and you soon realize that the helicopter's leaving. You hear others begging for it to come back, but it doesn't. Your entire body hurts from head to toe, and the pain is unbearable. You're pretty sure you have lots of broken bones, and you must be bleeding from multiple different areas of your body, but you're not sure from where exactly. As your consciousness starts fading again, the image of your family starts to form in your mind. You pray they find your note. You're on the verge of shedding a tear, but before it can even materialize, you take your last agonizing breath. It sounds like a scene from a movie, doesn't it? But what if I told you that this actually happened to some of the passengers of Japan Airlines Flight 123 back in August of 1985? Welcome back to Air Scare Stories. Today we'll be taking a look at the deadliest single aircraft accident ever. It's August 12, 1985, an unusually busy Monday at Tokyo's Haneda Airport. The celebrations for the annual Buddhist Festival of the Dead are almost here, and thousands are hurrying to their families to celebrate with them. The Festival of the Dead, known as the Obon Festival in Japan, is an annual holiday honoring the spirits of one's ancestors. During this time, many people travel back home to spend quality time with their families, which is exactly what was happening on this day. The airplane being used for Japan Airlines Flight 123, a Boeing 747-SR, has already made four of its scheduled six domestic trips from Tokyo's Haneda Airport to Osaka International Airport this day, and is now getting ready for its fifth. The cockpit crew is made up of Captain Masami Takahama, who's a veteran pilot with over 12,400 total flight hours. 
On this trip, he's supervising First Officer Yutaka Sasaki, who is undergoing training for promotion to the rank of captain. Sasaki has logged around 4,000 flight hours and will be flying the plane for this trip. The flight engineer on the trip is also a veteran, Hiroshi Fukuda, who has accrued a total of 9,800 flight hours. None of the team members in the cockpit are novices. All of them are experienced in flying 747s. The 509 passengers on board Flight 123 are certainly in very safe hands. But sometimes things can happen that even the most experienced flight crew can't recover from. The plane had landed at Tokyo's Haneda Airport from Hokkaido's Chitose Airport at 4.50 p.m. and by 6.12 p.m. it had already taken off on its return flight to Osaka. The first few minutes of the flight were uneventful. But just 12 minutes into the flight, there was a sudden explosion at the back of the plane. The crew initially had no idea what was happening, but they had begun to suspect that maybe one of the landing gear doors had blown off. So the captain asked the flight engineer to go and check on it immediately. At the same time, the emergency transponder signal was activated, which alerted air traffic control that Japan Airlines Flight 123 was in serious trouble. While the cockpit crew are wrestling with their controls, they're still baffled as to what's happened to their airplane. Flight engineer Fukuda stumbles back into the cabin and informs them that the problem is not with the landing gear doors. There's been an explosion and the cabin is losing pressure. They now know that the situation is very serious and that they're having trouble controlling the plane. What they don't know is why. They can't see any smoke or signs of trouble from the engines out the windows and none of the instruments were offering any clues either. In the passenger section, everyone's just panicking. The flight attendants are trying to get everyone to put on their oxygen masks cautioning parents to put theirs on quickly first and then to help their children to do the same. A passenger who's an off-duty cabin member quickly jumps in and tries to help their colleagues as well. The cockpit crew were very worried at this point. Not only were they moving at a speed of over 300 miles per hour, they were also 24,000 feet up in the air with very little control over the aircraft. Besides their own skins to worry about, these guys also had the lives of over 500 passengers entrusted to them, which would definitely have taken a toll on their state of mind. The crew initially planned to return to Haneda, but the plane had veered off course and no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't control the direction it flew. Air traffic control realized this and radioed in to confirm that they were experiencing an emergency. The crew confirmed that they were, but they didn't state the nature of the emergency as they were too busy trying to regain control of the plane. The flight engineer had also just told the pilots that his instruments were telling him that all power had been lost, but they didn't inform air traffic control of this either. They were scared and trying to figure out what the problem was, as well as trying to control the plane, which had now started flying in these long, repeating up and down roller coaster patterns called fugoids. A fugoid happens when an airplane is descending and so it starts to pick up some speed, and so that means there's more airflow over the wings, which means that it's generating more lift, so it starts to go up again. But as it goes up, it's now fighting gravity, so it slows down again, and then eventually the nose starts to point down and it starts to dive again. But these happen in long repeating cycles. So the plane dives downward and then it pulls back up again and then it dives down again over and over. Back at air traffic control, the supervisor had just arrived and been briefed on the situation. He suggested that they be diverted to Nagoya airport since it was in the general direction that the plane had taken and wasn't too far away. It was a more realistic bet compared to trying to come back to Haneda. Back in the cockpit, the pilots were coming to the realization that they had little to no real control of the plane. If they were going to land at Nagoya, they were going to have to reduce their speed significantly, which was not currently possible. The captain instead insisted that they would return to Haneda against the wishes of air traffic control. The problem with this was that Haneda was currently in the opposite direction and they had no control of the plane. 
but the captain remained adamant because he believed that it was safer to attempt to return to Haneda in an emergency because it had the facilities and emergency services to handle the crash landing of a plane the size of a Boeing 747. Back in the passenger cabin, oxygen had started to run out for those at the rear, and anyone else who hadn't properly donned their oxygen masks would probably have been unconscious by this point. The cabin crew were passing around oxygen bottles, which the passengers were taking short whisks of breath from. One of the cabin crew members made their way up to the cockpit to inform the flight crew that the explosion had come from the baggage compartment, which offered a small clue as to what the problem might have been. Nonetheless, they knew that they'd have to land the airplane before they could actually make a full assessment. In the cockpit, Captain Takahama had now become unresponsive. He wasn't dead or unconscious. He was alive and awake, but just not responding to any of the questions he was being asked. It was like he was experiencing some kind of paralysis. It's thought that this could have been a result of hypoxia or low oxygen levels. In the brain, this can lead to impaired judgment and eventually to unconsciousness and even death. Just like the passengers in the back, the passengers in the cockpit had masks too, but for reasons we'll never know, they never used them. Many factors could account for this, the first being the fact that it was probably the last thing on their minds with all the chaos going on. The next, which is the most likely, is that the effects of hypoxia were impairing their judgment and decision making, similar to how drinking and driving might impair your judgment and decision making behind the wheel of a car. Back on the ground, air traffic control had contacted Japan Airlines flight operations and briefed them on the situation, and they radioed in to Flight 123 to try and diagnose the problem and find a possible solution. They also tried to confirm if the plane could return to Haneda, but were asked to hold on by the cockpit crew who were attempting to make the plane descend in whatever way possible. The flight engineer at this point radios in and tells them that they suspect that the R5 door, the rearmost passenger door on the right, is ruptured. This worries the flight operations team a lot. It could mean that the cabin may have suffered an explosive decompression, which could have sent some of the passengers flying out of the plane. But in a worst case scenario, the door could have hit a part of the tail assembly and left the crew with no way of controlling the plane or even keeping it stable. If that was what had happened, there wasn't much that flight ops, air traffic control, or even the crew could do. Around this time, the plane was approaching the area of an American Air Force base in Yokota. The American air traffic controllers had been monitoring the situations, and so they offered their runway to the flight crew for landing, but they got no response. After what must have seemed like an eternity, the cockpit crew slowly began to realize that they could regain some very limited control over the plane's pitch by carefully adjusting the engine thrust at different times. They discovered that when the plane was in one of the upward segments of the fugoid cycle, it could get it to stop climbing by reducing the engine thrust, and when it was in one of the downward segments, they could get it to stop diving by increasing the engine thrust. Now that they had some semblance of control over the pitch of the plane, they next had to find a way to control the yaw or turning movement so that they could find their way to an airport and attempt a landing. They realized that when they applied more thrust to the left side of the plane, they were able to make a very crude turn to the right, which would actually send them back in the direction of Tokyo. For a little while, they were able to control the plane reasonably well, and they were slowly gaining confidence. But then, all of a sudden, just like before, they began to lose control of the airplane, and it began making these huge, wild, fugoid oscillations again. But the pilots still refused to give up and call it quits. Instead, they decided to try lowering the landing gear in an attempt to gain some stability. The increased drag on the landing gear did actually dampen the pitching motion, but it also reduced their directional control at the worst possible time. By now, they were flying close to Mount Fuji, the tallest mountain in Japan. In attempting to regain control of the plane by extending the landing gear, they'd caused the airspeed to drop significantly, which meant that they were also losing altitude quickly. 
While the cockpit crew were trying to get things back under control, the cabin crew were still trying to calm everyone down, telling them that they no longer needed their oxygen masks as the plane had dropped to a lower altitude. With a higher concentration of oxygen in the ambient air, passengers were starting to become more responsive and vocal. Likewise, the cockpit crew now grasped the seriousness of the situation with better clarity and were desperately trying to avoid crashing into the looming mountain. To do this, they needed to increase the plane's speed in order to generate more lift. But as the plane approached the area of Mount Takamagahara, the captain can be heard on the CVR saying, this may be hopeless. This is also exactly how the air traffic controllers were feeling as they watched on their radar scopes, powerless to help. Many of the passengers had also started to accept that they may not make it, and some started scribbling notes to their families on napkins and anything they could get their hands on in case they didn't survive. The cockpit crew ask air traffic control if they can confirm where they are using their radar. Shortly after confirming their position, the crew lose control of the plane again and it goes into a steep dive this time falling at a gut-wrenching 18,000 feet per minute. The captain is heard shouting, Power! Raise the nose! Raise the nose! Power! The co-pilot and flight engineer both struggle to retract the flaps and increase the engine power, but the captain soon realizes it's too late. He's heard saying, We cannot do anything now. The airspeed of the plane shot up to almost 400 miles per hour, causing it to start leveling out again, subjecting the passengers and crew to three Gs of upward vertical acceleration, like the world's most sickening roller coaster. In a right-hand bank of 40 degrees and still struggling to climb, the number four engine struck the trees at the top of a ridge on Mount Makuni. The backward shock of the impact caused the plane to bank even more sharply to the right, and the nose dropped again. The plane continued on this trajectory for three more seconds until the right wing clipped another ridge almost 2,000 feet away that contained a U-shaped ditch. The impact with this ditch caused the separation of the tail section from the main fuselage, the outer third of the right wing, and all three of the remaining engines. The main fuselage continued forward, flipped over onto its back, and struck another ridge another 2,000 feet away and exploded. The shockwaves from the explosion were registered on a seismometer at Tokyo University 60 miles away, which estimated the crash to have occurred at 6.56 p.m. Actually, yes. Well, just four. Yes. Well, that's a tricky question to answer. Remember I said that the U.S. military had been monitoring the situation? Well, the U.S. Air Force C-130 crew were the first to spot the crash site just 20 minutes after impact and while there was still some daylight. They had already prepared a search and rescue operation, but for unknown reasons that was called off by the Japanese authorities. Even then they remained on standby but were never called on to assist by the Japanese government and this probably cost a lot of lives. A Japanese Self-Defense Forces helicopter was later dispatched, which also spotted the wreckage, but by this time it was already nightfall. It was unable to land due to the poor visibility and difficult terrain, so from the air, the pilot reported that there were no signs of survivors. Because of this, the search and rescue operation wouldn't start until the following morning, 14 hours after the crash had occurred. To their surprise, they found four survivors barely clinging on to life. Doctors later said that if the rescue had begun earlier, there might have been more survivors, as many had survived the initial crash, but died from shock, injuries, and exposure to the cold in the mountains overnight. 
The off-duty Japan Airlines flight attendant I mentioned earlier, whose name is Yumi Ochiai, was one of the lucky survivors of the crash. She recounted hearing people screaming and moaning in pain after the crash, but they slowly died out throughout the night. They had also seen the helicopter flying overhead, thinking they'd be saved, only to have it fly off again and leave them abandoned. Locals in the area also reported hearing people calling out for help during the night, but one by one, they slowly faded away. During the investigation into what might have caused the accident, it was discovered that the plane had suffered a tail strike seven years earlier in an incident at Osaka International Airport, which had damaged the plane's aft pressure bulkhead. This is an umbrella-like structure at the rear of the fuselage, which separates the pressurized cabin from the unpressurized tail section. Unfortunately, the damage from this tail strike had not been repaired according to Boeing standards and would eventually fail, causing the explosive decompression on Flight 123. A photograph captured from the ground around 6.47 p.m., just before the fatal crash, showed that the vertical stabilizer was almost completely missing from the plane. This helped investigators to confirm that the repairs made to the aft pressure bulkhead seven years earlier had come undone. It's been estimated that the tail of the plane was lost just 12 minutes into the flight, which is around the same time the loud bang was heard at the back of the passenger compartment. The exploding aft pressure bulkhead likely blew away the vertical tail section and ruptured hydraulic lines, which explains why the pilots were unable to control the airplane. After learning about everything that had happened to the plane, including the complete loss of hydraulic fluid, making the pilot's controls useless, experts were shocked as to how they managed to keep it flying for almost 30 minutes after the explosion. It was really an amazing feat of flying by a well-trained and highly experienced crew. After the investigation, Boeing admitted to the shortcomings in the repair job carried out seven years earlier, which greatly affected their reputation at the time. The citizens of Japan, however, believed that Boeing was innocent and had just been forced to take the fall on behalf of Japan Airlines. In the aftermath of the crash, Japan Airlines saw passenger numbers decrease by almost 25%. The president of Japan Airlines at the time resigned his position, and one of its maintenance workers, as well as one of the engineers who'd previously cleared the airplane as being flightworthy, both committed suicide after the crash. But regardless of who was ultimately to blame, nothing can bring back the 524 people who lost their lives that day. If you like this video and want to hear more stories of aviation incidents and accidents, please hit the like and subscribe buttons. Is there an aviation story you'd like us to cover? Leave it in the comments section below. Thanks so much for watching. I'll see you on the next Air Scare Stories.